0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. It's a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. On this episode, I'm talking to Emma Dowling about the care crisis, what caused it, and how can we end it. So welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks very much. Great to be here.
1: This is an incredibly urgent book, uh, both, I think, in in terms of its subject, uh, the care crisis, but also... Um, you know literally right now and the past year that we've lived through um, because of the pandemic and, and I guess the place to start is is probably um, thinking about what the care crisis is um, and I wonder if you could um, introduce the the title really and, and, and sort of say a bit about what the crisis is.
2: Absolutely. Um, I guess probably what to say is when I began working on the book, the motivation was was really to make visible a growing care crisis that was affecting more and more people, especially after the global financial crisis in Britain and with sort of on sort of austerity and um, and things like that. And so the care crisis really there was something that um, for people who were working uh, across the, the care sector, it was very, very much tangible and something that they, they felt and they saw every day. And so for people who were trying to access care uh, or for people with unpaid caring uh, responsibilities, uh, it was a situation in which for them trying to um, either access care, uh, get the care, that they need to to live well was becoming increasingly difficult. And also the conditions under which people were providing care, both paid and unpaid, were also increasingly difficult. At the same time, this was something that... um, was being t- spoken about, but nonetheless, was something that was kind of there in the in the background a lot of the time, as other things and other ways of thinking about uh, society and the economy always seem to be more and more more important. And and then, kind of when the when the pandemic hit, it became much more visible uh, the the care crisis that had been there for a long time beforehand. I think one of the things is to say that sort of on the one hand, thinking about the care crisis, it's a uh, an erosion or an exhaustion of societal caring capacities, to put it on a sort of general level, but that means something very concrete for people who need care and for people who are providing care. So the basic definition really would be the sort of inability of people to access the care they need, but also uh, doing so uh, providing care under difficult conditions. At the same time, care needs are also increasing. So on the one hand, we had a situation particularly in adult social care prior to the pandemic, where already, according to organisations like Age UK, 1.4 million people were not getting the care they needed. But at the same time, because of ageing and demographic changes, there are more, more and more people are needing care. So uh, we have a situation in which uh, really this, this care crisis is being exacerbated from, from, many, uh, from many sides.
1: I mean, you mentioned the pandemic and it was incredibly um, sort of poignant, I guess, reading um, the underlying issues that that the book grapples with in the context of a pandemic that, as you've mentioned, has has really sort of uh, brought them um, into sharp relief, I guess, across society, which has tried to make uh, these questions of care unseen or, or hidden or, you know, not brought them to uh the forefront of of societal discussions and and quite early on you you grapple with that around the idea of care being something that is kind of unseen um hidden you know or or actually deliberately sort of occluded um, and and I guess um you also take a particular uh, feminist perspective um and so I wonder if you could kind of expand on on what you you'd mentioned already as a motivation for the book which is this idea about care being unseen hidden and and what the feminist perspective on that is Hmm.
2: well we live in a society where um sort of the the dominant kind of ideas or the dominant way of looking at society is uh, and looking at the economy is to look at uh, that part of the economy that is considered productive you know there where um, where services and goods are, are produced, but also this kind of heralding or celebrating of autonomy and, and independence. These are the sorts of uh, things that are put centre stage, and in the kind of day to day going about of our everyday lives and we don't really think so much about many people don't think so much about what are all the background conditions that are that are necessary for the economy to function and for us to reproduce our livelihoods and that's really where the feminist uh perspective shines the spotlight to say well there's all sorts of work being done often unpaid um many times also underpaid if it is paid that is really absolutely necessary to sustain life and livelihoods but it's sort of there in the the background it's it goes unseen it's not considered to have much value nor is it considered to be particularly skilled so um and it's relied on, and it's and it's absolutely necessary, but it's sort of not not really considered to be that that important. Of course, also it has traditionally been seen as as a as a woman's job, as something that is feminized. Um, this is something that, that women do. Um, it's part of the kind of culturally ascribed. Role um, and because it's not considered productive, it's sort of there, uh, there in the in the background. And I guess there's also something about the ways in which it's it's sort of seen as assistive labor. You know, in, the, in a way, it's also supposed to go unseen if it's if it's done if it's done well. Um, so I think there's also that kind of aspect to it um, uh, that plays a role. And I guess this kind of sort of idea that it doesn't have much value is also kind of embedded in a whole. Economy, because actually, even though uh, it's considered not to be, to not to have much value, it's actually so necessary. It's a ha- very high cost, and so all sorts of ways I think are, are sought to keep that cost low. Whether that's in terms of relying on uh, people's sense of responsibility, empathy, um, a sense of sort of public service to to kind of also often keep things going against. The odds—it's often sort of shunted into kind of moral registers or, or personal registers, or on the other hand, also um, the kind of labour market vulnerabilities to put to put it in a sort of technical term, sort of uh, also uh, um, are relied on. So class, uh, gender, ethnicity, and migration status are all sorts of ways in which these these costs are, are kept low.
1: I, I think I think that point of you know about keeping costs low or um i guess the sort of yeah you know trying to um place um responsibilities um onto particular groups and and, and effectively not you know compensate them or, or pay them um or indeed you know treat them with uh dignity and, and and kind of social status is is one of the things the book tries to sort of grapple with as a series of political choices um and indeed a series of um you know choices within organizations as as well as um, political choices and this you you know you mentioned the kind of um, growing uh, need for care because of demographic change often particular voices usually associated with the right will talk about you know well everybody's getting older this higher demand you you know these are essentially kind of technical problems but but I think the book tries to stress how not just in in the UK but actually you know uh, more globally and, and kind of interconnectedly Um, we've ended up with a care crisis because of particular political choices and one of these political choices is austerity um, and the kind of transformation of the welfare state Um, and I I guess the sense of austerity um, it's in the UK at least there are claims that you know austerity is finished and now you know the spending taps have been turned on none of which is true obviously austerity is very much still with us but but it'd be interesting to know about what the set of choices is around austerity and, and what the kind of effects of austerity are.
2: Mm. I mean, that was very much something that that motivated um, writing the book in the first place—is sort of seeing the uh, effects of austerity on the one hand, and also looking into the ways in which austerity is kind of wielded as a kind of ideological weapon. You know, the sort of technical term for austerity is fiscal consolidation, which which is actually really euphemistic you know sort of this idea that you're sort of consolidating uh finances when actually um what's happening is uh, massive cuts to to public expenditure that have direct effects on people's lives so the idea sort of if we think about you know the idea of austerity from above so to speak is that the measures are meant to reduce budget deficits and in this way governments can sort of demonstrate their fiscal discipline and and be considered credit worthy um but also there have been sort of economic theories that have set, suggested that high public, public deficits can lead to low growth and to instability and in crisis, but these are theories that actually have been refuted. You know, we were told that austerity was necessary to rebuild confidence in national economies after the financial crisis, attract investment and create jobs, but even IMF economists have had to concede that austerity doesn't work, that it, that it doesn't necessarily provide the desired economic boost, it, and, and sort of point to evidence of shrinking economic output, increased unemployment, heightened welfare costs, and, and sharpening in, inequality. So um, and that's kind of my, my point also in the book, like the effects of austerity are not fully grasped by just tallying up aggregate figures, you know, so oh we've saved this much and and, and that much, but but actually understanding the consequences um, of austerity. So on the one hand, I think, and, and for me also in the book, there are sort of two elements to this. On the one hand, austerity as cuts to um, social security, so the restructuring of universal credit, cuts to in-work benefits and disability allowances, Um, Also cuts to local councils, um, which when it comes to care is actually really very significant because the responsibility for social care lies with local authorities. So uh, austerity um, as budget cuts uh, at the level of uh, local authorities, which have been up to uh, 60% over the last decade, means that uh, there aren't enough funds to provide adequate Services. So, for example, with like, home care providers handing back contracts, or also the um, uh, means testing and these sorts of things being um, implemented very, very harshly, and people sort of not being able to access uh, care services, not being. Uh, provided working conditions uh, worsening, so all of these all of these aspects are are very real and 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 felt in their materialist uh, material effects. But the other aspect is also regressive tax reforms, and I think this is something that isn't spoken about so much uh, when we talk about austerity. Is actually we've seen the sort of uh, terrible effects for people on on lower incomes, but at the same time, the sort of redistributing wealth. Upwards. So actually, when you do look at the aggregate figures, you see that um, spending hasn't all in all changed that much. But actually, when we look at who the money is being taken from, we see that it's actually the lower echelons of uh, lower income uh, echelons where the, the money is being taken because you've had sort of tax cuts for the wealthy, increases to VAT, uh, which always hits um, poorer people on poor, uh, poorer people more. Um, and at the same time, things like reduced Reducing uh, corporation tax, etc. So I think it's sort of on the one hand the issue of cuts, but on the other hand also the ways in which wealth is being dist- uh, redistributed upwards. And of course, where austerity uh, hits is more and more people are pushed towards uh, really having nobody else other than themselves to rely on. So it's not just an ideology of sort of individual responsibility, that becomes a sort of real uh, uh, material reality for many people.
1: And essentially, that you know, responsibility and material reality is um, a demand that care be done by volunteers. And and one of the things you you talk through in one of the middle chapters of the book is the process of privatization, not you know privatization or a double privatization, but actually a, a triple privatization, whereby um, the state you know not just contracts out. Um, responsibility to um, private for-profit companies but also you know the very idea of um, kind of care being something that is you know supposed to be provided for by the states and also is you know a kind of labor that needs you know skills and, and remuneration it is just essentially sort of reframed as a volunteer activity that individuals families should be providing for themselves
2: Absolutely, and I think I mean on the one hand, there's a sort of con, you know the conservative uh, ideology is is the idea that sort of families um, uh, families are responsible for care, and obviously what feminists point out is that in the way that um, that is conceived is it uh, rests on the on the shoulders of of women, and and I think structurally what we can see is that the responsibility for caring is sort of systematically handed down a kind of societal care chain of paid, underpaid, and unpaid labor. Um, and this is a kind of core structural feature of capitalist economies that many feminists have, have uh, pointed to. But of course, it becomes even more uh, astute in situations where we sit, where restructurings are happening. So in the situation of austerity, what was um, of interest to me was to show... Um, or, it's, well, to ask the question first of all to whom exactly uh, is this uh, care work being offloaded to, and um, also the ways in which. Uh, uh, the sort of pursuit of profitability actually goes hand in hand with the devaluation of the, the work of care, either by making the work invisible or by offloading its cost. So I kind of came up with this idea of a triple privatization, which uh, builds on uh, existing feminist theorizations of reprivatization of social reproduction in the, the context of uh, neoliberal restructuring and what some feminists have called a kind of double privatization. So you have sort of welfare state retrenchment, the, re- the reduction of uh, public infrastructures, which on the one hand means that, it doesn't mean that the sort of care needs go away, it means that uh, the work has to be done by somebody else, so often this is then within families, uh, women who have to take on more, uh, more work. Um, but also that this can mean particularly where, say, we have seen greater labor market participation of women. They might not necessarily, the sort of traditional role of the housewife and mother um, has, has has shifted somewhat and women might not necessarily be available in the same ways as they, they have been in the past. And there is a kind of interpolation, if you so will, of uh, volunteers of the community so uh, you know david cameron's idea of the big society was very much uh, along these lines um or when people today also talk about uh the the compassion of uh of society of communities and kind of volunteers stepping in to to plug to plug gaps uh, in in provision. So, for example, think about in in uh, hospitals, volunteers coming in to, um, to read to patients, to help with with tasks that not nece- that are not necessarily um, when well, not necessarily professional qualified trained uh, staff would be necessary. And in that way, they are. Um, so sort of alleviating uh, the time uh, and resource pressures that that exist in this context of scarce resources. So I wanted to uh, shine a light also on that aspect of uh, privatization. And of course, the other aspect of privatization is the commodification and marketization of care services, which means that only those who actually can afford can afford these services can pay for them and those that can't uh, have to do the work themselves. And added to that, of course, the issue of the question of who is actually uh, providing these services and uh, paid conditions and and what their work looks like. So there's sort of different ways in which privatisation takes an effect and also where we see privatization happening and the marketization of care services the ways in which attempts at rendering these kinds of services profitable and creating economies of scale also has brought with it sort of pressures on uh, care services, so more care, more people being needed to be cared for in uh, less time, um, reductions in wages and working conditions, precarisation, these sorts of things happening as a, as a result of trying to render these kinds of services uh, profitable for, for uh, private businesses.
0: slash nbn50 to get
1: 50% off. I mean, th- this, you, you mentioned the kind of workers' uh, conditions there. And this is not just a story of uh, what would the language be, you know, service users and, and workers, but but it's also, I think, a broader uh, social story. And, and one of the things you get into later on in the book um, is the idea of even, you know, kind of prevention and preventative me- uh, measures that would, um, arrest you know the need for kind of critical care interventions even they um, have taken on these kinds of individualized privatized and kind of for-profit um, structures that, that we see in the rest of, of the care sector and, and you know throughout contemporary society and, and I wonder if you could give me a few examples about you know the kind of the, almost the sort of the trick or the um, you know now the kind of uh, the cruel face of, of preventative measures and how they reinforce the care crisis?
2: Mm. I mean, prevention is a tricky one, isn't it? Because on the one hand, uh, of course, uh, any you know, we would all agree that it is better to prevent uh, something bad from happening and then to let it happen and then mop up later. And I think that becomes sort of wielded ideologically uh, often in, in many ways to sort of... Um, focus on on prevention, uh, as opposed to providing care services there, where the emphasis is particularly on um, uh, on how to put this, Uh, maybe I started from a different from a different point. So um, one of the things that that becomes important with this idea of of prevention is precisely that um, care needs are are costly and particularly that there are perhaps avoidable care needs such as illnesses that stem from from smoking, obesity, excessive alcohol consumption and other ramifications of unhealthy lifestyles. So the thinking behind that is that a reduction of health and social care needs in the population saves money and reduces the burden on, on public infrastructures for for health and and social care, um, as well as on welfare and and social security spending. So the fewer people need care, the less the less costly it is. Um, now that's all very well and good, but at the same time, of course, there's a whole. Uh, there, there are two issues there. First of all, there is nonetheless still many care needs that exist that can't be sort of mitigated, you know, prevented away. So uh, prevention isn't uh, the, the the solution. For everything. And the other thing is also that here, uh, with this focus on prevention, there also comes uh, again the sort of introduction of a, the, the sort of personal individualized responsibility for unhealthy lifestyles and a way in which uh, social dis- disadvantage, class disadvantage, um, things of poverty and inequality get sort of transcribed onto this register of personal responsibility. So if you have. Um, uh certain kind of illnesses then it's uh, it's your responsibility you did something to uh, be in this situation it's also your responsibility to find a way out and um here what i became very interested in in the wake of uh austerity measures was that uh the the introduction of things like social investment and social impact bonds that were being implemented in areas where, that also included sort of prevention um, of social problems like, uh, things like, Uh, the situation for people who are particularly disadvantaged to do with their health, but also isolation uh, in the older age, mental health issues, and things also like recidivism or young people not being in education, uh, employment or training. So lots of issues that uh, actually have to do with inequality and, and structural disadvantage being sort of Funneled into this register of personal responsibility and uh, prevention on on the one hand, so um, uh, pr- programs that sort of help people to change their own situation, um, and coupled with this sort of new private finance um, that is being used to. Um, organize these uh, to fund these projects where then uh, there's some like social impact bonds you have a consortium that is uh, then involved with um, sort you know, addressing a social problem, that then um, you get private finance for that, and if you solve the problem as a consortium, then private finance gets a return on investment. And um, for me, this just seemed to reinforce the idea that not only the kind of structural issues that lead to problems in the first place are sort of uh, you know rendered invisible, but also it was the people themselves, the individuals who are you know who who are bearing the brunt of these structural problems that become responsibleized, and then also in, in, in turn a uh, source of uh, profiteering for private finance. So there's a whole sort of various layers here um, that are problematic.
1: And what does this mean for kind of us as, as individuals? And, you, you know, you sort of get into right at the very end of the book um, the kind of modern um, in some ways you know really affirmative and really important um, idea of self-care but at the same time there are particular you know sort of um, heavy psychological negatives um, about the care crisis as it plays out um, on an individual level
2: Mm. well first of all I think um, there's a sort of way in which um, a kind of economy of abandonment marries with um, this sort of financialized capitalism. So on the one hand, you have a situation in which, um, you know, you've got to take care of yourself because there's nobody else that's going to take care of you. And um, and it, and also, uh, where the the structures of care are sort of falling away, um, all you have is your capacity to work. And if uh, and if something happens to you and you can't work, then you don't have a source of income. So, you know, so, that, so these are things that, that are sources of anxiety in and of themselves. And that's one aspect. But the other aspect is also the, the sort of idea that you're you're an asset, you're a financial asset. Your capacities are financial assets that you need to invest in and optimize and and uh, keep improving and and all the while the sort of underlying that is of course the suggestion that you're never good enough that you always have to keep doing more and better and 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 staying on top of things and so that in itself also fuels uh, anxiety so I was kind of interested in unpacking that and understanding how that works and and the ways in which self-care um, then becomes a sort of labour on the self of sort of in, you know, investing in the self and, and um, uh, keeping your keeping your labour capacity going, and, uh, and managing these that, you know, it's a sort of crisis, a, a sort of individualised, personalised crisis management strategy at the same time. And there I was also interested in the ways in which this sort of, um, this, again, is kind of uh, fusing together with Ideas, uh, sort of critiques of uh, the sort of industrial production. Um, so we see now the sort of rise of clean cosmetics and uh, clean eating and um, uh, buying products that are that that don't cause harm in 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 some some form or another. And and I was interested in this because it seemed to me that it really reflected the the kind of um, so that capitalist realism that that Mark Fisher, for example also spoke about that that the ways in which the sort of solutions to the the problems that are being identified even the problems with the way that capitalism uh functions are they are also being thrown back on the individual has who has to sort of manage their own anxieties around what might be in the food or what might be in in the in the product and in in managing that anxiety can only do that through a sort of Uh, consumption or entrepreneurism so it's a sort of market orientated uh, solutions and so that's really what I was trying to unpack by shining a light on the ways in which on the one hand it seems that there is a crisis of this kind of neoliberal subject that that is supposed to be constantly self-optimizing but even that crisis management uh, is sort of re-channeled back into uh, the same kinds of uh, solutions that actually got us into the, the mess in the first place.
1: So what, what do we do to, to get out of the mess? You know, how do we value care? How do we remove uh, the kind of financial and financialized incentives? Uh, how do we make it more democratic?
2: Good question. Well, I think first of all, the issue is really to stress that care isn't a luxury good, like it's not, it's not optional. It's not something um, that you uh, can get if you can pay for it. Everyone needs to be cared for and everyone needs access to care, even if everyone doesn't have the same needs. And I think here also is something that that really came to to light in the in the pandemic. It's something that feminists uh, have long stressed also that our lives are interdependent, and um and that really needs to needs to be acknowledged. But that also means that we need to really value care. So, yeah, you know, valuing care means, of course, allocating more resources, uh, more collective resources to that, and in terms of funding for infrastructures um, whether that is uh, through uh, progressive taxation um, through really funding good public infrastructures um, but not of course and I think this is this is also um, a key issue that we have to really be aware of in the current debates that we also need to um, regulate and reform the privatization of, of care, because if we simply provide more money for privatized services, then we're not dealing with the ways in which that uh, profit motive and the kinds of business models that are being applied to care are also inappropriate and actually sucking resources out so um, here allocating more resources uh, has to go hand in hand with with dismantling this apparatus of private wealth extraction ie through um through reform and, and regulation but it also means um elevating the sort of undervalued political and ethical status of uh, of care and allocating more uh, more time for care. So uh, this means re- reclaiming time also from from waged work um, in our own personal lives, while at the same time thinking about the ways in which. Uh, we need better care for for care workers. So secure employment conditions, adequate remuneration includes sick pay, holiday pay, pay for overtime, uh, materials and resources that are required, as well as training and 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 further qualification. They're, collective bargaining and recognition of trade unions these are all ways in which uh that that can happen and but i think for me also thinking across the um paid and unpaid care uh work is really important so as i already said like reclaiming time from wage work to, to care for one another obviously doesn't mean just um uh, uh, falling back on the usual sus- suspects to, to do care, but actually redistributing that care work and thinking also beyond the nuclear family. Um, so ideas about commoning uh, care, uh, developing new kinds of uh, arrangements and networks uh, for care that spill out of uh, the individual household and the nuclear family, I think are really important. And of course, here, democracy is is really key. So I'm quite interested in the local local level or the sort of municipal level as um, a space in which we can think of sort of real innovation rather than commercial experimentation in ways in which we reorganise care in terms of also the participation of people in in actually uh, having their care needs met, but also taking seriously the uh, needs of those who are uh, providing care, not just uh, paid care workers, but also informal carers.
1: I mean, I, I'm very conscious of, you, you talked earlier about, you know, the sort of demands that contemporary uh, neoliberal capitalist society places on us to, you know, do more, do do better, you know, to constantly be thinking we're not able to kind of do enough. And, and so my, my final question um, really seems to fly in the face in that, which is what are you working on now? <laughs> what, what kind of comes after the care crisis book? But, but I guess... The care crisis is the culmination of, of, you know, a much longer project, and it, it, you know it's worth kind of flagging. There's uh, a huge amount of uh, engagement with people's experiences, and you know you've been in spaces of care and you, you talk to people. Um, and, and in some ways, um, I, I guess the question is the extent to which you've got um, more sort of work to do around care, or you've got you know a different set of of interests and projects to be developed.
2: Um, Yeah, thanks for that question, because I think, uh, and also thanks for the way that you kind of led into it, because I do think that actually part of uh, part of what what is a sort of general task for us all is to uh, to to slow to slow down and and allow for for more time and not uh, particularly also in the in the context of academic work as well and sort of um, uh, not overburdening ourselves all the, all of the time. Um, that's one aspect. But in terms of my sort of concrete concrete projects um I'm certainly continuing to to work on this issue of care I think there's still a lot to do and obviously I'm not the only one working on care there are lots of people that that are doing so um but one of the things that that interests me in in particular is trying to understand the ways in which the pandemic um is or isn't to catalysts for change and what openings there are to really um, change the, the situation and improve the situation. I think that, that's one aspect. But also, um, I mean, one of the, the sort of key concepts that I develop in the book is this idea of the care fix. So this sort of short term, uh, the problem of these kind of short term fixes that, that sort of paper over uh, the the structural problems, um, displace the, the, the problems, uh, displace the crisis and and here, I think we, we also need to be attentive to the ways in which care is also continuing to be of interest also as kind of a new avenue for um, uh, financialization and, and commodification. And so I think that the, the, the tension right now is around a, a growing awareness that something needs to be done and a political conflict around what those solutions are going to look like, and so I want to obviously uh, understand the, the dynamics of this and also contribute to um, pushing things in, in the right direction, which to me is, has everything to do with social justice.